Hello, and welcome to the First Prez Mommy podcast, the show for people on the go who like to stay in tune with the conversations at our church. Today, Pastor Jason Armstrong leads us through Hosea 11, 1-9, learning that when we turn from God, we are not punished in the way we deserve. Instead, we find an opportunity for restoration and forgiveness because of God's compassion. Let's hear today's message. Well, this this morning, as we reflect on this passage, I'd like to begin with a hard question for you all. And the question I have for you to, to consider is when have you been betrayed? When have you been betrayed? A person you care for deeply, uh, that thought you cared, that you thought cared for you in the same way. You've been in a relationship with them. Maybe you've made promises for them. Maybe you've provided for them, and they turn and they betray you. And they they break the promises that you've made to one another. During the week, I thought of the three betrayals that I found most hurtful, painful, and I suppose you may have your own list, but this is what I came up with for us today. So one is the betrayal of a best friend friend you've been in a relationship for years, a friend you've shared life together with, and they turn and they betray you. Betrayal in marriage. When a spouse turns from you, they break the covenant promises that were made. A child, parent, somebody who cares for children, you've loved this child, you've given them, provided for them, cared for them, given them everything that you can, and then they turn on you. Betrayal. Now maybe this betrayal was so complete that this relationship is destroyed. You no longer see one another. You no longer want to speak words to one another. Those are painful experiences for us. We will hit those sometime if we live long enough. But as the person who is betrayed, I think that there's underneath that hurt and that pain, there's still the care and there's still the love. There's still the desire to reestablish that relationship. That desire for that person to come back, to repent, to love them again. In our text this morning, we find that God, God is declaring that God has been betrayed. The people of Israel have turn their back on God, even though God has provided everything for them. They forget the love that God has shown, and as they're not repentant, God is considering punishment, circumstances. Should God act in love and compassion and mercy, or should get the people, what the people gets, what they deserve, so to speak? But this morning we enter in the book of Hosea. Hosea is one of the 12 minor prophets of the Bible. It's minor because of the length of the book, the number of pages, not because of the importance of the words. In fact, Hosea is the only prophet 
uh, speaking out of the nation of Israel, out of the northern kingdom. And if you remember over the last few weeks, we know that there's two kingdoms now. We had King David and King Solomon, and then there was a split in Israel. Now we have the northern kingdom. Israel, that's capital is Samaria, and the southern kingdom, Judah, whose capital is Jerusalem. And just to give you some context between the years of the split, and now it's about 175 to 200 years, and there will ultimately be 19 kings of Israel in that time. And I have a, a chart that I have taped with masking tape onto my bookcase in my office, and this chart illustrates um, the prophets, the kingdoms, the years, what's going on. So there's a lot of moving pieces in this story over the history of Israel and Judah. So trying to keep those straight, that chart has been great value to me over the years. And as I looked at the text today, I noticed in the bottom, bottom left corner, there's a yellow box. And all the kings of Judah are listed. And it says, it tells you what, if they were good or not. Some were good, some were bad, some were good, then bad. Some are just in the middle all the time. But it gives you each king. As I was looking at our text today, that there is no box for the kings of Israel, the 19 kings. They're not listed in this chart. So I figured, well, was there a good king of Israel? So I, I looked it up, and guess what is your answer? Do you think there are any good kings of Israel out of the 19? Anybody brave enough to answer? The answer to that is no. There is not one. Thus, we don't need a chart because they are all bad. <laughs> but that leads us into where we are today, though. Starting with Jeroboam, leading the people away from proper worship in Jerusalem. Now here we are. The kings have been leading the people away generation after generation, away from God and God's promises. So in this time of kings that are continually evil, a nation is turning from God with their leadership. It's turning away religiously. We talked about, in the, right in the text, it talks about worshiping the Baals, other gods. Politically, the nation is trying to save itself by making alliances with other nations instead of turning back to God. Economically, the rich are taking advantage of the poor. The scripture tells the people to take care of the widow and the orphan. That's not happening. In addition to that, in the east is a great new uh, empire, Assyria. And they're coming, coming to conquer. And Hosea, last week we talked about Elijah. Clint preached on Elijah and this Ahab calling Elijah the troubler of Israel. That's what prophets are, they're troublers. We have another troubler today and he's going to declare trouble is indeed coming because of their rebellion. But the book of Hosea is kind of in two parts. Chapters 1 through 3 deal with Hosea and his wife Gomer and God's instructions for Hosea to take a wife, to live into a life that is the same experience that God is having with the nation of Israel. We see this relationship shown in, in Hosea, real briefly, Hosea 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 2. It says, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, and they had a, they had a child. And they had two other children, and as Clint already mentioned, Gomer was unfaithful. 
Gomer betrayed Hosea in that covenant. And we read a little more about that in Hosea 3, chapter 3, verse 1. The Lord said to me, Lord said to Hosea, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So we see God, his prophet Hosea, God calls him to be in a similar circumstance as God finds himself in with the people of Israel, calling him to live the same kind of love, life of compassion and mercy and grace in the midst of rejection and betrayal. As we move forward into the book, we get to chapter 11, our text for today, and we move from this husband and wife type situation and, and metaphorical situation into parent, parent and child, parent and son in chapter 11. As we move into chapter 11, we have a real brief description I think is helpful of the charges against Israel before we consider that. In Hosea 4, this is what God says. These are the charges against Israel. Hosea 4, 1 and 2. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. With these charges in mind, and we enter into chapter 11, and God remembers. God remembers and describes how he loved Israel from the very beginning. He loves them as a parent loves a child. This, this young new child loves them as a parent does with compassion and faithfulness, with mercy, with promise, with protection, with provision. He provides hope for them. He provides hope for them and rescues them when they find themselves in trouble. When they cried out in, is, in Egypt, he was there. And as I, I read this description this week, I thought of Having children, if you've been with young children, been with babies, you quickly start to learn their cries. The cries that are, they're going to be all right, leave them alone for a little bit. And the cries that are urgent, that you need to take care of right away. And I picture that cry with God responding to, to Egypt or to Israel this way when they were in Egypt, the nation. They're crying out, we need you, this is urgent. And God responded, God came to them as any loving parent would. And God brings them out of the Egypt and describes them as my son. You have my name. I, I legally claim you. You are mine. You have my name. You have my inheritance. All that I have is yours. And it's a legal, legal, react, or legal uh, interaction. It can never be broken. And we find a similar language by God also in Exodus when he, God's instructing Moses to go in front of the prophet. What should Moses say? He keeps asking God, and God tells him this in Exodus 4.22. Then say to Pharaoh, he says to Moses, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. Israel is my firstborn son. Israel is my prized possession. All I have is theirs. But even though Nate even though God claimed them, 
legally adopted them, pulled them and said, you are mine, and if you have a unique and chosen status, they were disobedient. The more they were called by God, it tells us in our text today, the more they walked away. The more that God was forgotten, the farther they got from God, they started to worship other gods, they started to make false idols, thinking that something else could save them, protect them, love them. We've seen this story repeating itself. If you know scripture, you know the story of the Hebrew people. Remember in Egypt, after they, caught, they cried out to God, God pulled them and up and, and sent them off and released them from bondage in Egypt. Quickly, they turn. They grumbled against Moses and against Aaron because they were hungry. If you remember the story, they even made lies up. They said, well, we had plenty of food. We had meat in our pots overflowing in Egypt. We should just go back. Lies. They turned. And of course, the golden calf, when Moses, after the Red Sea, they're saved from the Red Sea. The Hebrew people are from, from Egypt's army. God performs that miracle. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. He's gone too long, and the people lose hope. And they make a golden calf and a new God. With that being the case, God continues with the imagery of a, a caring parent, teaching a child, teaching the nation to walk, teaching them to walk by holding them in their arms. And I was thinking about, uh, we have actually have a new baby that's coming in on my wife's side of the family. We haven't had a new baby in the family in a long time. But you may remember as parents or caregivers or maybe you're in a situation now where a child's learning to walk. You hold their hands as they're starting to learn how to use their feet and their legs. Later on, when they, they begin to walk their, themselves, you stand there with your arms out. Come to me. And that child comes. That look on their face of love and hope and expectation. And at the last minute, of course, they fall into your arms and you pick them up. That's what God has done for the people of Israel. And God goes on to describe how he cared for Israel by healing them, by showing them kindness and mercy, by guiding them along the way, by taking weight off their shoulders, providing for them materially, removing any burdens and hardships that were in their way. But as God states, they did not realize it was him, it was God who was providing for them. It was God who was, who was cared for them. They turned. They betrayed God. Now as we consider the story of Israel today that we're looking at, I suppose it's also, we've talked earlier about how have you been betrayed? When have you been betrayed in your life? Maybe it's also fair to put ourselves in people of Israel's shoes and go, when have I betrayed God? Because we all have. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. An important piece, I think, to see in this text today is in verse 5. As, the, as Israel forgets who cares about them, if they've, they've turned away from God who's shown them how to walk, who's calling them back into his arms, God says they will not repent. They will not repent. They have turned, they have betrayed God, but the big issue for God is they will not repent. 
they will not turn back and come to me. I've not moved, God says, they've moved, and they need to turn and come back to me. I'm here waiting. My arms are out for them. And since they won't repent, judgment and consequences come about. God declares, they will return to Egypt. They will return to the state they were in before I saved them. They're going to return into bondage. Assyria, the Assyrian Empire is coming. It's going to destroy. It's going to take out the, the, Israel, the nation of Israel and disperse the people. And Hosea indeed describes how the nation of Israel will be conquered. A sword will flash into cities. I will devour those false prophets, those people who said that they have spoken for me for generations and who do not. They don't speak for me. Their scheming and their plans will be put to an end. It is over. And because my people are bent, the scripture says, they're bent on backsliding away from me because they're motivated to, because they're living in this idea of apostasy, which is a refusal to follow God or obey God recognizing who God is. Going back to that story of Moses in Egypt, we, we read or heard from a few weeks ago that Moses asked God, who should I say sent me? And God says, tell them, I am sent you. I am that I am. I am the Holy One. I always have been. I always will be. I, I am. They've forgotten that. And the scripture goes on. They don't want to be in an authentic relationship with me, God says. So when they do cry out, this time, it's not out of relationship. It's not out of love. It's not out of wanting to be with me. It's simply out of wanting to get out of their situation. So I will not come this time. So it's a rather dire description on reality of events we have in this first part of our passage this morning. In thinking about God as a, as a parent, caring and loving, arms open, calling his children back to him. I was thinking about situations where you've had children, you've cared for children, and you've provided for them, you've loved them as a parent does, and you've had that situation where you're child has betrayed you, has turned on you. Maybe it's a moral situation. Maybe it's serious as a legal situation. Maybe they're in a phase of life where they're just being difficult. But they've turned. They've betrayed. And you know that feeling when you are betrayed in that moment. I was thinking... Of that and I, I, my, my picture in my head for myself as a parent and God in this situation with the people of Israel and I think of God saying something like I love this child I love this child but right now I don't like them you know what I'm talking about so in your mercy and grace and in your compassion and parental love you continue to love that child. You continue to want to be in right relationship with them. And of course, there's consequences for turning and betraying. Maybe punishment that's appropriate. But what you desire most of all is repentance and for them to come back and be with you and love you. And we see this aspect in God today in this final part of our passage. 
Interestingly, or technically, God has every legal right, every legal right to finish this relationship, to end it. And in fact, a dramatic description of this is in Deuteronomy 21, the law that is in the Bible. It says, if someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they disciple him, discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. They shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his town are to stone him to death. That's tough and rough. That's a law. I don't know if it was exactly followed in that culture, but it was a law. Thanks be to God, God says, I'm above this. I'm above these laws. I am holy. And what I care most about is mercy and compassion and forgiveness. Human laws don't take precedence over God. And he wants that relationship to ultimately be restored. Now as we think about betrayal this morning and sin, the people of Israel, as described in chapter 4 and in chapter 11, we have to consider our stance in all this. Because certainly we've betrayed God. We've sinned against God. And the Apostle Paul writes in Romans, the first part of a verse that really ties this all together. In Romans, it says this, for the wages of sin is death, the first part of this verse. For the wages of sin is death. What we've earned by, through sin and through our rebellion is death. It is separation from God. That's what we've earned. But there's a second part to the verse, the second part that shows God's grace God's mercy, God's compassion, God's love. But the gift of a God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The gift of God, of forgiveness of sin, and eternal life come through his Son. We see a, a remembrance of Hosea 11.1 1, actually in the book of Matthew, the New Testament, the Gospel, chapter 2, verse 15, where Jesus and his family flee to Egypt to avoid persecution. And, and Matthew writes, out of Egypt I called my son, but this time I call my son, the one who will not rebel, the one who will not sin, the one who is obedient. And be, through his obedience will be the salvation for all people. Salvation for all people, even to death on the cross, Paul writes later. And friends, this is through the glorious resurrection. And as we consider God's love, how it's shown to us, how his mercy and compassion and grace are illustrated through his love in Jesus Christ, we get to 1 John chapter 4. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. This is compassion. This is grace. This is mercy. This is God wanting to reconcile and be in relationship with us. 
Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. All the betrayal, all the sin, all the separation from God, all the times we didn't come back when his arms were out were put on Christ, on the cross. And friends, we are heirs to this compassion, to this mercy, to this grace. We are heirs. We are adopted, just like it said in the beginning of Hosea. God called the the people of Israel as sons and daughters. He calls us as well. We are sons and daughters legally. We are adopted when we submit to Christ as Lord. And we are filled with the Holy Spirit in baptism. I'm going to Romans 8 right now. I, I told, said, told the earlier service, I tried to condense this section a little bit, but it's God's word, I can't. It's too good. So Romans 8, 14 through 17. For those who are led by the Holy Spirit of God are the children of God. That's all people who have been baptized and have submitted to Christ's authority. The Holy Spirit you receive does not make you slaves. It makes you free does not make you slaves. You do not have to live in fear. Again, rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and daughtership. You are, you are God's, legally, bound, and you cannot be taken away from him. And by him, we cry out, Abba, Father. We cry out to God, and he responds, as a loving parent would. This Holy Spirit himself testifies that our spirit, that we are God's children, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. Friends, you are God's children, sons and daughters. The people of Israel betrayed God time and again, and we do the same, but thanks be to God's compassion and love. He claims us as God's children, as his sons and daughters, forgiven through the blood of Jesus, his son. This is good news. This is great news. This is eternal news. This news rings throughout all of creation and it rings throughout all times for eternity. We talked about it at Bible study. I don't have the words to express what this is, how good it is. The good news seems like not enough. I don't have the words. But it is so great that it, comes, it overshadows all the problems of the world. All the darkness that we see, all the darkness we face, the wars, the news, all the things that are going on, people in rebellion, you know the, know the story. But the good news of Jesus Christ of God's compassion and mercy it outshines everything it takes away the darkness so the question I'll leave you this morning I started with a question I'll finish with one with the greatness of that that news that knowledge that you are sons and daughters of God how do you respond to the gospel as God's children How do you respond? Because God acts and we respond. God acts, we respond. How does it impact how you live your life, this good news? How does it 
inter- how does that impact how you interact with others in your daily life? How does it impact how you worship this morning? Like I said, I don't have the words to say how great the gospel is, but I, there's something about music and song and the organ and all the instruments that declare that glory in a way that I can't with words. So I'm glad to have the choir behind me today. Because as we, as we complete our time together this morning, I encourage you to, to sing to God and praise, knowing that he has saved us in his love and mercy. Let us pray. We, Lord, we thank you for your, your love and compassion and grace. Each time we get together and worship, we confess that we've sinned, so we, we know that we betray you, Lord either through things we do or things we do not do. But even greater, we know that you've given us the gift of your son, Jesus. That through him we are forgiven. That through him and through the Holy Spirit, we are adopted as sons and daughters of you. And that nothing in this world, nothing in creation or out of creation can take us away from you. Lord, I pray that we go forth into the world with that knowledge this day and every day that inspires us to worship you in our words, in our acts, in our deeds. And Lord, we sing to you this morning all your praises. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed our first Prez Mommy podcast. Learn more about our church at our website, firstpresmommy.org. Have a great week.